Hello, everybody. It's me, Brad. Welcome or welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> did you just steal my intro? I did. I did. I told you it was going to happen. <laughs> hey, that was mean. And you got it wrong. Okay. It's welcome or welcome back to B&B Anime. Thank you very much. No, 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 no. This is my podcast now. I've taken over. <laughs> so it's just B-Anime? <laughs> doesn't sound as good. But no, it you know doesn't. Tisk. Mm. <laughs> we should have, like, we should make B&B, as in, like, bed and breakfast, and have, like, snacks and tea and be in bed. That's what this podcast is now, okay, guys? This is a bed and breakfast. You come here. We will not serve you breakfast. We'll serve you mad tea on uh, different animes. But, you know. I mean, I'm totally down. This sounds like a wonderful idea. I need to. I need to get on this. Yeah, this is now bed and breakfast for anime. Bed and breakfast anime. <laughs> you know, I feel like we need to make an actual anime now that's based off the podcast, just so it'll all come full circle. Just a slice of life of us just running a bed and breakfast together. But while we're running the bed and breakfast together, we we also have a podcast. Yes, exactly. It it needs to happen. And then the guests are the characters of the anime that we're reviewing that week. I mean, I'm down. Right? I need this in my life now. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, how are you? Oh, it's my turn first this week. This is all backwards. First I steal your intro, now I get to ask you how you are first. Right? I know, I'm very thrown off. Um, No, I'm doing great. Um, I have, um, my mom had surgery this week. It all went super, super well. Um, It was just eye surgery, super minor surgery, but um, she is kind of out of commission for the rest of the week. Can't do any heavy lifting, moving around, bending below her waist, that kind of thing. But it all went super, super well. Um, And she's just getting really bored now. Like, she can't do anything that she'd normally do. So, yeah, she's just getting really bored. And the robins hatched this weekend. So we have three little babies. We thought we only had two, but there are three in there. Um, and I think probably not this weekend, but next weekend we, uh, will be seeing them leaving the nest. Oh, Blue is officially a Disney princess. (laughs) I don't know, right? It has officially happened. They get real scared whenever (laughs) we go near them, so we have been giving them as much room as we possibly can, despite the fact that they built their nest right on our deck, so I mean, it it is quite (laughs) difficult to give them the room. But yeah, they're not bothered by the dogs at all, that was our biggest concern, would be like, there's three dogs in our house. Like, are they concerned about those? But they're not. They're just more concerned about us humans. And uh, and yeah, they're just, they hatched. They're doing really well. Mom and dad are working hard, getting all the worms. It's been raining here quite a lot. So I feel like there's been more worms than normal, which is good. Because um, obviously they'll come to the surface when it rains. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Pretty, pretty ordinary week. What about you? How have you been? It's been a week. It's been... Very interesting, but also stressful, considering I am responsible for eight golden doodle puppies right now. Yeah, although not all of them are goldens. So there are two beige, two chocolate, and four black. And it has been brought to my attention that I'm getting the chocolate one with white boots. Aww. So it's adorable. But I'm having trouble deciding what I want to name it, because I was dead set on Sakura for the longest time yeah. until I found out it was going to be the chocolate one. Yeah, what what color? Uh, what color? What um, gender? It's a female. Oh, okay. So I'm torn 
because I still want to go with Sakura because of what I've been dead set on. But also, since it's brown, it makes me think of Autumn. So I'm kind of like Aki is kind of sticking in my mind That's with that cute. being the translation for Autumn. So I don't know. I, I can't make up my mind. What about something like um a Sakura chocolate treat? Like the, you know, they make those Sakura flavored things when you during the seasons, seasonal sweets and stuff. Sakura Kit Kat. <laughs> Maybe you could have a look and see if there's like a chocolate Sakura sweet and name it that. Maybe. Because then it's Sakura and chocolate. Aha. Uh-huh. Right? I don't know. Marketing. I like Marketing. it. Right? Yeah, no. Um, I had such a hard time when naming Tilly, so I absolutely understand. Tilly's full name is Tilia, um, which is Latin for lime or lime tree. Um, and I named her that because... I wanted to name her something naturey because her older sister, I guess, is cedar, who's after a cedar tree because she's a really dark red golden. So she looks like the same color as a cedar tree. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to name her something, something naturey, but I also wanted to name her something that was like, reminded me of home and, and my home and where mm-hmm. I was born in England, um, in Canterbury. There is a line of lime trees round by the cathedral. Actually, I don't know if it's by the cathedral. In my head, it's by the cathedral. But I've actually started to become more and more aware of the fact that the distance of what I think things are compared, like, from my 10-year-old brain from living in England and the actual distance of what they actually are are very different things. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, oh, it's just around the corner from there. My mum's like, no, that was on the other side of the city. I'm like, Oh, because <laughs> yeah, don't, I don't have the this adult awareness of the city, but yeah, I don't think it was too far from from the cathedral. There were all of these lime trees, and I really, really loved that area. Um, and so I ended up at Tilia, uh, but uh, of course she's just Tills now, Till Tilly or Tills. Oh, good old Bean. Good old Bean. That's one thing. Uh, for whatever name you name her, you're gonna have to be prepared that it will be shortened. Nah. Yeah. I mean. You know, I have a feeling, no matter what it is, I'm just going to end up shouting, Baka! And it'll just come. Aww. No. So sad. (laughs) Uh, I have been shouting that a lot, though, these past few days. You have Considering Nora, the mother, is running around getting into literally everything whenever I let her out. So I'm just like, Baka! Aww. Have you ever raised a dog before? I have. So this isn't my first go-around. Oh, cute. Because I've raised Dotsons, I've raised little Chihuahuas. <laughs> yeah, so, I can't picture you being around a Chihuahua. It was my mother's, so therefore, you know, it's uh, it it wasn't my decision. Mm. I'm not a fan of teeny tiny dogs. Well, you're such a big person. Like, I mean, you're what six foot four, right? Mm-hmm. So it must be really quite difficult, genuinely, to interact with a dog that's so small. Without accidentally, like, injuring it or, you know, scaring it or... Don't you think? Well, not only that, but also for me having to bend down and potentially injuring myself in the process. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, with your knees and back and hips and... You're just, like, 95 years old, aren't you, mate? Essentially. That's what I feel like I am. At 24, almost 25, here in less than two months... I feel like I could just break at any time. That's just that's just me. Honestly, I feel you. I feel you. 
But outside of that, since I am house-sitting for my aunt, I've been getting a lot of stuff done as far as anime go. That's good. I'm like two months ahead on the podcast right now (laughs) as far as getting anime watched. Well, I say two months ahead. I feel like I'm two months ahead considering with Food Wars coming up, I'm already through the second season. Nice. So I'm through that. I'm through with Fuka. I've started rereading the manga. That's going to take a shit ton of time. Yeah. Because I want to get all, I think, 191 chapters read by the time we discuss it. Right. Okay. Just because I want to talk about it because the show is extremely short. But the manga and the anime take, like, drastically different turns. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'll discuss why whenever we actually get to the episode. But until then... That's just kind of it. But outside of that, I started reading a new manga this week as well. Oh, you did. That's been a little bit of a trip. (laughs) Did we get to know? Yes. Okay. So Viz recently released a, it's brand new. It just hit the market and it is called How Do We Relationship? Okay. So it's not my first GL manga that I've read, but it's the first one that I've read that isn't attached to an anime. Okay. So it's been a... I'm not sure if I wasted $6.99 yet or not. <laughs> okay. Because I am I think I'm like halfway through with it. Mm-hmm. And it is, um, it's interesting to say the least. It's very, <laughs> the only word that's coming to mind is bombastic with like how it goes about things, I guess. Uh-huh. It's been, uh, it's been interesting. And the only reason that I just went ahead and straight out bought it is because it kept recommending it to me, which I don't understand why, considering the only thing that I've been reading on Viz is Demon Slayer and Dr. Stone. It's just like, you just need some GL in your life, dude. I I guess so. So (laughs) I've been reading through it and it's about a shy meet college girl who met like her polar opposite. Right. That's also like a foot shorter than she is. Aw, Yeah. And they just randomly started dating, and now it's going through all of their shenanigans and trying to figure out life in a world where, you know, intergender relationships is frowned upon. Mm Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, this is interesting, but whenever I say it's bombastic about what they talk about, it's bombastic. (laughs) I'm intrigued. I I admit I'm intrigued. I I keep thinking that I want to send you screenshots, but I'm like, I've been pestering the shit out of you enough here lately. I need to I need to just leave it alone. Nah, send me those screenshots. I want to see. <laughs> I'm really curious now. Well, since I know, I'll be sure to send them your way. But yeah, outside of that, is there anything else that I've been watching or doing? I'm trying to think. No, outside of that, it's just been working on art projects for you and... That's it. Mm-hmm. I, I got into a weird rabbit hole yesterday and today about these, like, LRAD machines that are terrifying. Um, um what? <laughs> so basically, um, I was doing some research on the protests that have been happening in all over the world, but specifically the ones that were happening in America. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this theory, well, it was a theory, now it's kind of proven, um, allegedly, <laughs> please don't sue us, um, <laughs> that 
there are these machines that the police are using um, that are called LRED machines, which actually do exist and have been used by police in America in the past during black during protests for Black Lives Matter because of, I think it was in the 80s, and I think it was in uh, Philadelphia, maybe New York, I'm not sure, where uh, there was a protest happening in the 80s, and they used these LRED machines as a crowd dispersal. Uh, tactic, allegedly. Um, and they also <laughs> have been used in, I think, the Vietnam War as, again, crowd dispersal. And um, for in that case, it was psychological warfare, again, allegedly. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so basically what it is, is it's like a, I guess the best way to put it is like a speaker or a PA system. But instead of just going up to normal sound decibels, it goes up to extreme sound decibels to the point where it can cause uh, permanent hearing damage, fainting, nausea, headaches, like horrifyingly painful sound, you know, to where it's it's used as a form of attack. And these machines are used normally in warfare and have been used to do things like psychological torment, where they'll put like... Um, screaming cries of the dead or whatever over these sounds to then be able to freak out the culture of the enemy. Like, um, I think in the Vietnam War, it's like, in, in Vietnam, it's like a culture that souls do not rest until you give them the proper send off or ceremony. And so they were playing these souls of the dead, allegedly, to scare the, the Vietnamese fighters. Because it was like everyone that had passed away during the war hadn't been laid to rest yet, and then they were like haunting the area. Of course, those fighters knew that it was just a speaker that they were playing these sounds through, but because of the con- constant of them, how how consistent they were, and how loud they were, and just the environment that they were in, it was like a massive form of psychological warfare, mm-hmm. and. Allegedly, they have. I have to I have to say that, okay, guys. Um, uh, they have been used throughout these protests that have been happening in America. They've been spotted, apparently, in Philadelphia, New York, and in Texas. Um, and people have been saying that uh, they're playing screams um, over them, Aztec war whistles. I think it is. Um, or like the scream of the dead. It's like a whistle the Aztec used to use to scare enemy, like nations, tribes, people and explosions that sound like fireworks all the way through the city. So the thing about these, these Elrads though is they are directional. So if you are faced with one for whatever circumstance, don't run away from it, run to the side of it. And if you have like a poster board, like you're you're a protester and you have like a placard or whatever, put that in front of your face because it will really help get rid of them. But anyway, the conspiracy that I was getting into wasn't just like the LR thing. It was more about the the types of sounds that they use to play through these uh, through these machines. There are two different types of sounds that humans cannot hear: really, really high pitch sounds and really, really low pitch sounds. I know, for instance, in England, they use really high pitch sounds as a teenager deterrent. Um, so like in, uh, shopping malls or places where they don't want a lot of teenagers to be like loitering around, they'll have like whistles and things that are so high pitched that only younger people can hear them. And then when you get to a certain age, you can no longer hear them anymore. And I remember there being a lot of controversy around this when I was younger, 
because moms would go into grocery stores and stuff and their babies would be crying and they can't figure out why their babies are crying. And uh, when they leave the store, their babies aren't crying. And then later they find out it's because the store had this teenager deterrent um, that was affecting not just teenagers, but everyone under that age, right? But through these LRADs, instead of playing high-pitched noises, they play really, really low-pitched noises that vibrate at the same frequency as your body does. Because everybody's body, everything vibrates. The entire world vibrates at a certain frequency. And even us as humans. And if they play a sound that vibrates at the same frequency as you that we can't hear, it messes up with our own synchronization. And it can, and this is all based in science. This isn't like ghost stories and stuff. But it can make your eyes, which vibrate at, I think, I don't know what they said, like 13 or 14 decibels. I don't know what it is. And it can make them shake differently, vibrate differently, and blur your vision. It can also make you evacuate your bowels without wanting to. It can make you uh, faint, get migraines. Um, obviously, because of how, how loud things are, if they d- aren't playing that sound that we can't hear, it can make you like deafen you, uh, your ears bleed, all that kind of stuff, burst your drums, um, which is very, very terrifying. But I found I fell into this rabbit hole for it. And now more and more videos are secretly surfacing around of people seeing random amounts of fireworks, hearing bizarre explosions, hearing these screams. There's so many of these videos popping up all over the place. So if you're interested in weird things like that and, and government conspiracy theories, yeah, check out those videos. It's 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 been a thing that I've fallen down this rabbit hole of, and now I'm questioning everything. Man, who would have thought that Siren Head is real? Right? Yeah, Siren Head's <laughs> just like popped up in America, and he's like, hey, I'm here to stay for a while, you know, bud? Hey. You guys like really loud sounds? I got you. I got you. I got you, fam. We got some loud sounds. I could do that. Yeah, no, that's it's been been an interesting rabbit hole to fall down. That is that's definitely an interesting rabbit hole. I ran across a really interesting theory the other day that's not in any shape, form, or fashion based on reality, but I still found it really interesting because it mm. made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So do you remember the whole uh, murder hornets thing going around at like the very start of June that very quickly died out? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what if time travel is actually real and people keep going back, like trying to fix the timeline and they keep fucking it up worse? You know what? I vibe with it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, remember murder hornets? Those left quickly. Yeah. So I was like. Mm, you know, could be really interesting. But there was uh there was one really interesting theory that I ran across the other day. Mm-hmm. That um and the only reason I ran across it is because a friend of mine had posted it and it was a really long post to sit and read through. Mm-hmm. But it was about so do you remember back in twenty twelve whenever the world the was gonna world end? was supposed to end? Mm-hmm. Yes. I don't know if you and I have had this discussion. I've had it with a lot of people, so I can't remember. But there was a thing that came out, I think, back in the 70s, and Stephen Hawking had made a prediction of scientists eventually finding the particle that would be able to let them create a black hole. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember in 2012, but I think it was around September that some scientists in, I think, Norway or Sweden or somewhere over in there actually managed to create a black hole. And so the theory is, 
is that since time is technically irrelevant, but time in a black hole is even more so because everything is just stretched. Mm -hmm. So what if the world technically did end in 2012? Because the black hole caught us and that's why things have slowly been like decaying and falling apart, you know, depending on how you want to look at it. But also why time feels like we're sped up even though we're adults and we do basically the same thing every day. So time is going to feel a lot faster as adults versus kids. But anyway, as far as the theory goes, and that's why everything seems like it's sped up and the world is slowly spinning more and more into chaos. Mm-hmm. That's It's really funny that you bring that up because I think it was two days ago, there was an observation of a black hole colliding with something that caused a shockwave that scientists just don't know what it is because of the amount of energy that was released. It wasn't I think from what they said, if I can remember correctly, it wasn't a black hole colliding with like a supernova or something, but they don't know what it collided with and they're just very confused. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happened like two days ago. Interesting. But yeah, I've been talking with that on and off of people for like the past couple of months. Anytime somebody's brought up conspiracy theories. So I was like, <gasps> perfect time to bring this up just to get your thoughts on it. The ocean is scary shit. Space is even scarier shit. <laughs> Both of them are just big old oases of nothing much. And that's what's scary about them. Yeah. Because the ocean terrifies me. Like, I absolutely hate the ocean. Go back and watch my Subnautica playthrough. <laughs> I fucking hate the ocean. <laughs> the ocean only scares me when it gets deep. I mean, like, for instance, the channel between England and France, that doesn't mm-hmm. scare me at all. But if I go to, like... For instance, when I was in Newfoundland, that freaking scared me because after a certain point, there's just ocean, you know? But like in the channel, it's like, okay, if you keep swimming, you'll get to France, you know? But when you're in Newfoundland, if you if you keep swimming, you'll die. <laughs> <laughs> I went down a really weird YouTube rabbit hole yesterday about rip currents. Oh, okay. That's not scary. And that's another thing that terrifies me about the fucking ocean. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was a that was a thing while we're talking about rabbit holes that we went down. I was watching a documentary a while ago. I think there's a place in somewhere in Central America where there was a cave that was once connected to the ocean, but then because of receding waters and the land like coming above the water level, this cave was separated off from the rest of the ocean hundreds and hundreds of millions of years ago. And so everything, all the organisms inside of this cave have evolved so differently than everything that was in the ocean. And so if you go there, there's just like the, uh, yeah, it was a, I think it was a team of divers went down there. And if you watch this documentary, you could just see these creatures that are like completely blind. They have no eyes. They don't, they're not just blind. They don't have eyes because it's pitch black there. So they don't need them. And, like, all of these other kinds of, like, bizarre uh, evolutionary, like, things that they have. And they're just, like, alien creatures. And it's really weird to go down there. And it's just, like, this tiny little pocket. And it, all of them are severely endangered because there's only as many as can live in that cave. And if, like, anything happens to that cave, hundreds of species of these very, very bizarre creatures would just completely die. Huh. Fascinating, right? That's yeah. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, I think it's somewhere in, in Central America, but I'm not entirely sure where. Huh. 
I'll have to find out more for it, more information on it and um, share it on the Twitter or something for you guys if you guys are listening and you're interested because yeah I I can't remember it maybe it was a David Attenborough documentary I'm not sure I went through a, a phase of watching so many animal documentaries that they all kind of blended in together <laughs> <laughs> yeah you'll uh, you have to keep me posted on that one yeah I will I will I think that covers all my rabbit holes I wanted to talk about. Yeah, well, it covered all mine and some, apparently, because I just started yeah. to come up with more. So, yeah, I guess I guess it's time for the news. So, news. Not a whole lot, honestly. Yeah. Although there is something I meant to send you before we started recording, because it was a bit of news, but I wanted you to see the, see the art for it, because it looks adorable, and if they ever make it, or whenever they do actually make it into an anime, because that's the piece of news... Mm. My senpai is annoying is getting a anime. Mm-hmm. And I, I just sent you the piece of art for the cover. Oh, okay, that's adorable. <laughs> that is hilarious. So the background information on the manga, so on the show as well, is Igarashi is a hardworking young office lady. Takada, the senpai above her at work, annoys her constantly, and yet she finds herself growing closer to him. Every day is filled with comic mishaps and romantic moments as Igarashi tries to balance work life and love. That's cute. I I am very interested. I I feel like thanks to me, you're getting into more like slice of life rom coms. Yeah, yeah, you're turning me into a more romantic person. Why would you do that? Look, I'm trying to I'm trying to make you to be able to accept more sap. That way I can get you to watch more shows that will just absolutely crush your soul. Oh, why would you do that? Look, okay, this way we can watch them, you know, a lot more frequently instead of having to wait like four months. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess we both forgot to say um, it's a uh, both. Well, it's Canada Day today, but it's also going to be 4th of July soon, right? Yeah, happy Independence Day. <laughs> Except our uh, our fireworks are getting pushed back, I think, to like Labor Day. So I think that's in September. Maybe? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what American holidays are. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know when Labor Day is. I don't know. I don't know when American holidays are. I don't think they're 4th of July because it's in the name. <laughs> Yeah, no, Canada, uh, I haven't seen any celebrations today. There were a couple of fireworks that went off last night, but it just seems like people doing it in their own back garden, you know? I don't think we'll be having any celebrations for anything because of COVID, and we've also had some protests going on here that uh, I'm into as well. I like I like to see some protesting. Protesting is is good in my books. If you have, a, if you have an opinion, it's always good to voice it. Mm-hmm. Um, just be safe, please, <laughs> everybody. Yes. Exactly. Be safe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so so that's a thing. Labor Day, September 7th. September 7th? Yeah, so maybe the first Monday in September? I don't know. I don't keep track of dates. All the thing I know is that it's a holiday that I get paid for. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but America's been having some really bad increase in numbers, right? We have. Uh, numbers have been drastically spiking now granted instead of shutting everything down again we're just gonna like slowly start mandating that every city like you have to wear a mask if you go out okay because people don't do that (laughs) so more and more states are starting to do that and i think some beaches are starting to close down yeah i was gonna say because the second the beaches opened up it went 
Like, everybody was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to the beach. Fuck everything else going on. Fuck this. Fuck that. We're going to the fucking beach. Yeah. And then, of course, this is the result. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's another one of those situations. If you're going to go out, please be smart. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, wearing a mask isn't a political statement. It's just to protect you and your community. To keep people safe mm-hmm. so they don't die. Yeah, it's not even, like, if you don't want to wear it for your sake, fine. But wear it for the elderly and everybody else around you. Yeah. Wear it for like, your own sake. Be selfish. Wear it for you. If you want to if you want to live, but you don't want to catch COVID, put on a dang mask. Because if you yeah. put one on, other people are going to feel more comfortable with wearing one themselves. And it's going to cause community herd immunization. That's what we need. We need... Everybody wearing them, so be selfish. Put on a mask for yourself, mm-hmm. for your family, for your loved ones. It's it doesn't have to like if you if you're not in it for the community, be in it for yourself at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you have to be selfish, just be selfish. Just be selfish. Either way, put on a dang mask. Yeah, just ugh, common sense. Be safe. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but anyways, now we've ranted on that. Uh, any other news? Yes. So, and the only reason I'm talking about it is because it's in Japan, but The Last of Us has officially debuted at number one in Japan. Yay! Deserves it. Deserves every bit of it. Phenomenal game. I love it. I need to finish it. Yeah, how far are you in now? I haven't played since the last stream, so I'm still like at 20-ish hours in, give or take. Are you going to be streaming? You're house-sitting, right? So you can't stream? Yeah, so I'm not going to be streaming there because I don't have a legitimate PlayStation headset anymore. So it's either go out and spend 70 bucks on that or just wait till I get home. Mm Mm-hmm. So I can stream with my capture card and, you know, my actual good mic and good headset and everything else. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to I'm just going to do that. Wait till I get back and get a day or two off because my plan is to like finish the last 12 hours in one go. Because mm-hmm. I'm hoping, hoping my back can actually withstand it at that point. Yeah. But I feel like my back's also not getting better. So we're going to. I'm going to have to figure out something. Yeah, you really need to go see a professional about that, dude. Yeah, no. Please do. (laughs) Go get some help. I'll get to it. Maybe. We'll see. Soon. You will get to it (laughs) soon, and you will not cause any further damage to yourself. Please and thank you. I'm just going to get messages every day. You done something yet? Have you done something yet? So listen, you done something? Have you been to physio yet? Have you seen your chiropractor yet? Have you gone to a massage therapist yet? Have you done anything? <laughs> Look, at this point, if things start shutting back down again, I might as well just hold off before <laughs> before I go see no. a chiropractor until no, I can you, get adjustments no. regularly. You, you might as well just go. You don't want to cause really severe long-term damage because you didn't treat an injury in the time I am severely you... long-term damaged. Well, you don't want to make it even worse. You don't want to be completely wheelchair-bound by the time you're 40. Like, a go see a professional. I'm not changing my mind on this. <laughs> Look, I'll get to it. Now. Okay, podcast over. I'm going to go see a chiropractor. I don't even mind. I don't even mind ending the podcast right now if it means that you will call a professional and book up an, an appointment. Do you realize what time it is? Email them. I don't care. (laughs) 
get yourself a dang appointment. Promise me by the next recording, you will have looked into options for your back. Next week's recording. I will ask you. I'm going to write a sticky note right now. Oh, yeah, you can write a sticky note about this, but can't watch the first episode of Promised Everland like I asked you to. Hey, I wrote a sticky note about that, too. The sticky note just happened to stay on my desk and not come with me. Uh-huh, sure. Mm-hmm, yeah. Let's see how it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, next piece of news. Netflix is officially adding the first season of Yu-Gi-Oh! to its catalog on July 8th. Time to did it did it do Good enough. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I never watched Yu-Gi-Oh as a kid. Did you watch Yu-Gi-Oh? Uh, yeah. I had the cards. I was a badass. <laughs> I had Pokemon cards. See, I had those as well. But Yu-Gi-Oh was my thing. Pokemon cards, I collected them. I didn't know how to play. I uh, know my brother and I, we had mats and everything. We used to play We used to play Pokemon cards up in the attic. Uh, you see, I had like the dual disc from the second season for Yu-Gi-Oh. Mm-hmm. I had one of those because it was cool as shit. <laughs> And I felt like a badass going to tournaments at Books A Million and playing. Aww. <laughs> and stealing other people's cards. Because, you know, it's like the show. You lose, you give up your best card. Aww. <laughs> yeah, we used to just play on the playground at school with all of our other nerdy people. But I only played for like a year on the playground at school because my brother then left to grammar school. So then I was all by myself and I wasn't going to play Pokemon cards by myself. And I wasn't going to speak up and ask if anybody else wanted to join me play Pokemon. <laughs> Oh, come on. Like, I remember trying to teach people in elementary school how to play Yu-Gi-Oh! so I could have friends to play with. Nah, you don't play Pokemon cards in primary school in England. Trust. What? Why not? Because you... Not where I came from. Nope. Why not? Because you... Not the right environment. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny, because I feel like every time I talk to my... One of my really good friends about this, or even better, because I'm a mod for his streams as well, and I think Major even listens to the podcast some of the time, so Major, if you're listening, hi. Anyway, anytime, like, anybody that he knows, or even people that he doesn't know that just visit his streams, he likes to tell the story about how we would try, or I would try to teach him how to play Mm Yu-Gi-Oh, and he could never get it. And he legitimately tried, and I remember this, even though, God, that was over a decade and a half ago at this point. God, I feel old. (laughs) But yeah, like, I remember sitting down and trying to teach it to him and just could, could not get it. So does that say more about him, or does that say more about the fact that you're a bad teacher? You see, I could go into the fact that I'm a good math teacher, because... Yeah, but that's a story for another time that I don't want to talk about on the podcast. Because <laughs> I don't want to talk about school life on the podcast. We've had these discussions. We've had these discussions. Yeah, no. I used to teach math to the rest of my class in high school. See, I did that too in my uh, Algebra 1A class. I loved Algebra. See, I really enjoyed Algebra. Now, Geometry, I thought was useless and garbage. Oh, geometry can go suck on math. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That statement got <laughs> cut real quick. Uh-huh. <laughs> Reel that one in. That one's not getting finished. But, yeah, like, I feel like Yu-Gi-Oh! wasn't that hard, I guess, at least not for me, because it's math. If my numbers are bigger than your numbers, you're dead. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no idea how Yu-Gi-Oh! works. Uh, it's... 
there's a card game that I'm trying to think of what to compare it to, but I can't. Again, my brain is dead at this point. But yeah, it's just like, if my numbers are bigger than your numbers, then my card beats yours, and the difference of the numbers goes away from your points. And whenever your points hit zero, you lose. Okay. Like, simple concept, until you start introducing, like, magic cards and trap cards and all that other shit. Do you have, like, a mana source or something? Like an energy? Okay. Uh Uh-uh. Like, your cards are literally the only thing that you have. There is no energy. Now, your magic cards had special effects, and so did your trap cards. So you can use, like, any cards that you have in your hand? Yes. And every round, you draw a card. And also, it's a rule that if you run out of cards in your deck, and you have no more cards to draw, you automatically lose. Can you have unlimited amount of cards in your deck? No. I think you can have 40 or 45. So if you're just having a really long game, you better end it quick. (laughs) Right. Can you... Are there cards where you can, like, draw two cards? Yes, there's a card called Pot of Greed that whenever you play it, you draw two cards. Although, in tournaments, Pot of Greed is banned. Oh, interesting. And just like in tournaments, um, there are broken cards called the Egyptian God cards, and those are also banned in tournaments, even though I won them off of some kids. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a, that was a fun time. <laughs> I'm I'm intrigued. I watched I think I've watched like a few episodes of the first season of Yu-Gi-Oh, but I never went into into depth about it, but I might have to revisit it. So, I started watching it again with Walker the other night and it's kind of like it got me into wanting to play again. Right. But watching the show back, I'm like this shit is cringe. <laughs> I was like I like the cards were cool, but this show, my god. <laughs> Oh, the heart of the cards. It's the heart of the cards. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I do enjoy some card games. I've played some like Magic the Gathering in my time. I've played a few others. And I do enjoy them. I uh, haven't played any in a, in a long time, though. And mainly because I, I don't have any IRL friends. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm so lonely. <laughs> you know what? You know what we should do what? on stream at some point? Yeah. We should play Yu-Gi-Oh. I'm down. I I will buy us both a copy of whatever Yu-Gi-Oh game is on Steam, and we should play. <laughs> <laughs> I'm down. Let's see Yu-Gi-Oh. Just, why not? D- just just because of shits and giggles. Why not? Just for funsies. <laughs> I, I feel like it would be easier to try to like show it to you that way and teach you than try to explain it over a podcast. Because I'm like, I don't think she's getting it at all, and I don't think I'm explaining it at all. <laughs> I think I, I I get the basic concept. I mean, it's it's. Not too tricky in the sense that, you know, you have a certain number of points and every attack diminishes those points and you draw a new card each round that's either a trap, a, like a magic spell, or a creature, I guess? Essentially, like, you have your monster cards yeah. and they have an attack and defense and depending on how you put them out on the field will depend on what the number is. And if they're in defense and you defeat their card, then they don't take any life point damage. Right. And also, if, like, say, I have two monsters on the field and you have one and one of mine defeats yours, then my other monster can attack you directly. Yeah. And use its attack points to just kill your life points. Yeah, that's pretty standard. Yeah, so it's... I don't know. It's interesting. It's really basic. The show is bleh, but card game's fun. I'm down. Sounds like fun. Yas. Moving on to next piece of news that's somewhat related to that one. Canada has officially added 20 films to its, uh, or words. To Netflix. 
Yeah, Studio Chibli, Netflix, Canada, 20. Yep. Guess where I watched uh, Spirited Away? <gasps> Let me guess, Netflix? Uh-huh. Guess where I watched it? Where? Technically, in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> I had to use a VPN, but my goodness, I got it. <laughs> you got there. You got I there. I got it. Although, now... HBO has officially added all the Studio Ghibli films to its library, so I can watch it there without having to use a VPN. Nice. So, yeah, Canada, enjoy Canada. your Studio Ghibli films. I will, <laughs> on behalf of the whole country. <laughs> you will enjoy all of them for everyone. Yes, I will. Although I feel like we have like three or four scheduled in the podcast at this point, so you'll definitely accomplish all that. Mm-hmm. And then, well... I say, and then, because I was going to act like this was the final piece of news. However, I had a little bit to go over next. But anyway, last official piece of news. The Weathering With You manga will officially end with its third volume in October. Okay. Because they they essentially did what they did with Your Name and released the manga after the fact. Right. Just so you can, like, get a manga version of the film. Yeah. But it was written for a film. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. So um, I'm intrigued. I own all of the volumes of your name because your name mm-hmm. is, again, my favorite film of all time and will stay there forever <laughs> <laughs> until, you know, another one comes along and tries to knock it off its perch. But so one interesting thing about Weathering With You, and you'll actually get to experience it with the corrected version instead of how I saw it in theaters. So in the climax film of the scene or in the climax scene of the film. He forgot to draw clouds into the sky. Oh, okay. And you'll understand why that's important whenever you actually watch the film. But so watching it in theaters, like there's just this huge scene and it would have made sense to have clouds, but there were none. That's funny. Yeah, it was uh, to find out. And I, I kind of like thought it was odd like something was missing i guess whenever i watched it but then as soon as they pointed that out i was like oh my god yeah so i look forward to watching it in all of its completed glory whenever it comes out in september yeah no i'm super excited to watch it but yeah now i'm gonna have to buy all the manga for weathering with you and also so they're releasing a still book for your name and i kind of i kind of need to buy that <laughs> you kind of need to have that too well i mean like, the steelbook artwork is absolutely gorgeous. Like, it's mm-hmm. the scene of Golden Hour, whenever they're on top of the uh, mountain leading down to the shrine. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's visually stunning. I'm going to have to go find a picture of this and send it to you now, because it's, um, I need it in my life. But, yeah, so manga's ending, and that's a thing. All right, next bit. You ready? I'm ready. I'm going to have to move to Japan now. Oh. So, Kieto... Uh, words Kyoto Animation is officially hiring for fixed term and year round employment. So when are you applying? Uh, now. <laughs> now, applying <laughs> right now. So they're hiring for animators, managers, and a few other positions. But I was like, oh my god, I need this in my life. Yeah, are you like that's? I mean, I'm. I would like to. <laughs> But also they have like a school or like a training program that they'll put people through between the ages of 18 and 25. <gasps> you and I both qualify to go through this 
course. Oh, don't get me thinking about these things. Hey, so listen, it starts running in October and runs through September of next year. Ah, shit. Oh, why would you do this? I just had my life all planned out. Look, okay, it's a, uh, it's, it's just a year. We can get year-long visas. We can make this happen. I was already looking into getting a year-long visa. Well, look, okay, I'm gonna take your life plans and twist them to, you know, suit the narrative that I'm trying to spin here as well. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god, why does that sound so good? Okay. You you know what'll make it sound even better? Uh Uh-huh. Watch Violet Evergarden, then you'll understand why I need this in my life. To work with the studio that's done one of my top five favorite animes of all time? Yeah, I I need this. <laughs> I'm I'm very intrigued. Let's do it. Let's just apply, just for shits and giggles. <laughs> just for shits and giggles. But yeah, so that's uh that's the last bit that I wanted to talk about. But yeah, I I need it. <laughs> I need it I need in my it. life. I need it. <laughs> Give it to me now. <laughs> so spirited away. Yeah. Okay. So this was my first time watching Spirited Away. Ooh, really. It was. I remember it being advertised when I was younger. I don't remember when it first came out. I was very young then, like three or four. But I remember it being advertised when I was a lot younger. And I have always been intrigued with it. But it's always been one of those things where I was like, oh, that looks good. And then I never actually acted on that. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of mad at myself. Because I really, 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 really like this. Now, do you understand why it is my favorite Chibli film of all time? I do, because I agree that it's better than the ones that we've already reviewed so far. And and the main reason that I chose it to be the next Chibli film that we watched over Howl's Moving Castle and everything else is because you said you wanted one that actually had a sense of danger, something that would actually like pull you in and keep you there. Mm-hmm. And I think this had that. Like, I, I agree. Think this had like what you were looking for in the Chibli franchise. Yeah, I think so too. It's interesting because it still kind of has the classic no plot kind of vibe that Ghibli films, so far from what I've seen, tend to have. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense, there's no direct beginning, middle, and end storyline. It's all like little things that get put together. I guess, I suppose this one has like an overarching theme of young girl moves to a new town, gets trapped in this world, has to try and escape plot. But it doesn't have like a consistent, I'm trying to reach this one thing that I can do so that then I can get out. It's more like a, well, we just kind of have to muddle through until we can figure out what happens. Well, mm. I feel like she knew that she had to get out, but it was more or less just figuring out how. Yeah, but it's yeah, it's not like the, there was a clear goal established for her to achieve to then be able to get out, you know? I think it was wait on love interest. Yeah. So she but, could get out because she was like, she was extremely helpless because she yeah. was extremely young. Yeah. So it was more or less just like, ah, I think I have a person I can trust. Let's try mm-hmm. to get out of here. Oh, no, betrayal. Oh, no, not. <laughs> yeah. 
But like, there's no like, uh, she needs to find this key to be able to unlock the door so she can escape. You know what I mean? It's like she's in this new environment, experiencing all of these new things. She just kind of has to get to work and experience everyday life in that world without having a clear definition of what she has to do to then be able to get out. It just, it's more, it is more of a muddled through. And I think that's a signature of Studio Ghibli. And I actually really like it because it does kind of create a more window into a world vibe as opposed to uh, you're getting the whole picture vibe. And it means that you are left with this feeling after watching their films of wanting more. Like every single Studio Ghibli film I've seen, I then want more from each of those stories because I feel like I, I haven't gotten the whole story. I feel like I haven't gotten the whole book. And it's a good thing. It's not like a oh, I'm unsatisfied, although I am unsatisfied. But it's like a, I'm unsatisfied in an it's made my imagination go wild, as opposed to I'm an unsatisfied as in I am just, like, this is frustrating. You know what I mean? You see, I got the sense out of it of it was more or less, this one was to teach good life lessons. Mm-hmm. And especially after what the film was based off of, and that was what I was going to talk to you about, because mm-hmm. Miyazaki wrote the script for this after he decided that the film would be based on the daughter of a friend of his, Saiji Okuda, who's actually the film's associate producer. It was based off of his daughter because she would come over to his house and visit every summer. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like this is one of those things of, you know, just trying to teach kids good life lessons. Mm-hmm. Like, if you work hard, you can get what you want. And also, don't take food from strangers. <laughs> yeah. I saw that whenever I was watching it through this time, and I was like, <gasps> don't take candy from strangers in vans. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it was more or less just, like, good life lessons out of, uh, especially this one. But I feel like all Studio Ghibli films somewhat have, like, some sort of message. Mm-hmm. That was kind of some of the stuff that I got through on this one. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I think it's really good. And I like the idea that it's focused on. I find there are a lot of stories that are, are like that. Like um, the BFG by Roald Dahl was written based on his daughter, Sophie. And that was one of my favorite books growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't know. I like stories like that that are based around the creator's own personal experiences. I think it makes it more relatable. Mm-hmm. There's an episode out of Violet Evergarden that reminds me of this as well that I'm not going to go into because of spoiler reasons, because it's one of the episodes that nearly broke me yeah. on the show. But yeah. yeah, like it was one of those things to where it was just, you know, trying to complete a story and he was using, you know, real life inspiration on it. Yeah. So, which I think is a really good plot device for storytelling. It makes it more realistic. Yeah. This also makes it a little bit easier to spin a narrative as well. Because, I mean, you have something there in front of you to kind of work off of. Yeah. So what's the background on Spirited Away? Studio Chibli. Miyazaki. All the <laughs> Need fun we stuff. say more? <laughs> I feel like there's not a lot to say because Studio Chibli and Miyazaki speak for themselves. Like, they're yeah. just timeless and ageless, and we've covered it all before. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't listened to our previous podcast and you want to know more about them and our opinions on the studio and Miyazaki, we've also done uh, My Neighbor Totoro and uh, Kiki's breakdown. Delivery Service. 
yeah, you get the full breakdown in Kiki's delivery service about all the background info on the studio and more or less like my in-depth thoughts on Miyazaki because Miyazaki for the longest time was the standard bearer in anime and especially the anime film industry and still is held to that regard. Yeah, and this one's more recent than the other two. Both Totoro and Kiki's delivery service were made before this. This was made in 2001, correct? Yes, it was officially released on July 20th, 2001. Mm-hmm. Did you watch the dub or the sub this time? I watched the dub again. Ah, and what did you think of it? Because I watched it subbed. See, I enjoyed the dub. Granted, any time I've watched any of the Chibli films, I've watched it dubbed because that's just, to me, like, that's how I prefer to enjoy Chibli films because the dub, especially considering that Disney did them, like, they're actually really good. Yeah. So, what about you? How did you enjoy the sub? I really enjoyed the sub. I tend to watch all anime subbed. I think you guys know this by now. Um, it's just how I prefer to, to watch it. I've watched a lot of foreign stuff since I was very, very young, so I'm very used to reading subtitles and watching shows at the same time. I used to watch a lot of French films when I was really, really young. And yeah, so I've, I genuinely really enjoyed it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought the voice acting was really good. And I, I think this is, yeah, this is my favorite of the three that we've seen so far and reviewed on the podcast. That is good to hear because I figured that that's how it would be. So I guess I'll go into general overview of what you can expect throughout the movie before we check up that spoiler warning and dive into it properly. Um, so Spirited Away is about a young girl. They never actually establish her age, but in my mind, she's around 10 years old. Yeah, I'm right there with you on that. Mm-hmm. And her name's Chihiro, and she's just moved to a new town, and she's not very happy about it. But on the way to this new town, her dad kind of gets a little bit lost before as they're going to their new home, and they kind of end up in this strange little area that's surrounded by shrines and uh, these odd little statues, and they end up going through this tunnel. And when they get through through onto the other side of this tunnel, um, they uh, they cross this river, this little stream, and they discover that they're in an old amusement park that went bust due to the economy going. And when they're there, certain things happen and Chihiro ends up being separated from her parents and being in this spirit world. And it's all about her trying to get her parents back and get back into the human world and also try and survive in the spirit world because obviously humans shouldn't be there. So it is, as Brad said, there is an element of danger to it. It is still absolutely a children's film. I believe it's rated PG. There is no incredible danger, you know, uh, Demon Slayer or anything. Like it's it's absolutely not like that. It's still very, very PG. But she is in more of a dangerous situation. It's, yeah, it's on the same level of danger as like Kiki's delivery service during like the clock tower scene when she's on her broom and she's trying to save the boy. So yeah, there's an element of danger, but it's nothing more than a Disney film would have. And yeah, it's about her trying to get back and and making friends and learning the environment and learning about spirits and all of that kinds of stuff. And also remembering a little bit of her past as well. And that's, yeah, that's pretty much the overview. I think that hits all the points. I think that hits all the points. Yeah. Yeah, without getting into spoilers, I think that hits it all. Yeah, um, there is one character in here that you will probably recognize if you have seen anything on anime. You will definitely recognize No-Face, because yeah, he's everywhere. He's on merch all the time. If you go into Hot Topic, I'm fairly certain he's all over t-shirts, all over there. Um, (laughs) So yeah, there are definitely recognizable characters in this film. Also, the soot sprites 
return in this one. Yes, they do. So yeah, we saw them in My Neighbor Totoro. I don't think we saw them in Kiki's Delivery Service. I don't think so. No, but we did see them in My Neighbor Totoro, and they do reappear in this, so you can assume that it's in the same universe, which is pretty Mm -hmm. cool. Oh yeah. But yeah, so from there, I think I'm going to throw up that spoiler warning. From here on out, we're going to be diving straight into the film, dissecting it properly. Yeah, so spoiler warning officially enabled, if you do not want to know what the film actually consists of. I guess go watch it, and then come back. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, so it's about this young girl, uh, Chihiro. Cheers from each You dying? I'm, I'm okay. I might need something to drink, though. <laughs> Do you want to go get something? I'm good. Hang on. There we go. Uh-huh. Opens can. But yeah, so it's about this girl, Chihiro, who uh, is moving to this new town with her family. And her dad takes a wrong turn. And they end up at this strange building, surrounded by the statues and shrines. The, as they walk through this tunnel entrance, the dad notices that the building is actually made of plaster. Even though it looks really deteriorated, he says it's probably only made around the 90s. So this film was released in 2001, so not even 10 years old. Uh, and he says that during the 90s, there was this big economic boom, and a bunch of these theme parks kind of like popped up all around um, the area. And then there was the crash that followed, and they all got abandoned. So they walk through this tunnel and they end up at this um, theme park and they cross this stream and when they get there the dad starts smelling something that's like hey that smells pretty good and the mom goes oh this is a really nice spot we should have brought our lunches with us and the dad's like ah I smell something follow me and so they go through the theme park as they go through the theme park the dad uh, is like leading them via his nose and it's all abandoned and, and kind of run down looking and they get to this stall and eventually at this stall they find piles and piles of food like these massive dishes stocked to the brim with food they call out and there's nobody there so the dad goes well i guess we'll just start digging in and then when the the store owner comes back i'll pay for it you know i've got my uh, i've got cash i've got my credit card like we can pay for the food come down and start start eating so the dad starts digging in the the mom starts digging in but chihiro is like this feels weird she was creeped out from the second that she saw the shrines she is not into it and she's saying you can't just start eating some food like the is just left out and there's nobody here. And dad's like, no, it's fine. I have money. I have money. It's fine. Uh, and she's not happy about it. Um, so she starts wandering around the, the village. She's like, I'm not going to touch that food. I, I'm going to just do whatever. Like, I'm going to go exploring and look around. And so she, as she's going to look around, she climbs up the set of stairs and she sees this big building that has bathhouse written on it. She starts walking over to it, and as she walks over to it, she crosses this bridge, and she looks down, and there's, like, a train running underneath, and it's, like, a huge big area that that doesn't seem to fit in with the theme park's vibe. And as she's walking over this bridge, uh, there's this boy that comes running out of the bathhouse, and he says, you shouldn't be here, you shouldn't be here, you need to go, Um, you need to leave before nightfall. And she's like, what the heck? But he's like, go, 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 get out, get out, get out. And then as he's saying, you need to leave... Um, all of the lights start turning on in the theme park. And she's like, uh, that's weird. And considering that it's probably been 10 minutes since the the mom said, uh, we should have brought a lunch here. And now all of a sudden it's nighttime and the lights are turning off, right? So you can assume time is different. 
And so she runs down to go find her parents. And as she's running down to go find her parents, all of these spirits start popping up. These translucent ghost shapes start popping up. And she is freaking out, right? So she runs down to go find her parents. And when she gets to the store with her parents, instead of her parents being there, there are two humanoid pigs wearing her parents' clothing. And they are not responding to Chihiro. And she is freaked out. So she just runs through the town and tries to get back to the stream where the field is so she can run through the tunnel and get out. But as she gets to where the stream should be, instead, it's like an ocean, like a lake. And there is a boat coming towards her that is just stocked full of spirits and spirit people. And so she runs and hides in a corner and that's when she sees that she herself is slowly turning translucent and this is like the i guess the intro to the story what were your thoughts i know this isn't the first time you watched it so uh trying to like remember back but at, at her at her parents be- becoming pigs and then herself turning translucent what were your thoughts uh <laughs> it's been so long <laughs> Since I, I initially watched the film. So I'm not even sure anymore. Because I think this was like my fifth or sixth time watching this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I literally can't think back. But like I mentioned before, whenever we're going through the overview of the show, this time watching it through, my thoughts were, oh, hey, don't take candy from strangers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you notice the the time change? Because I didn't until I, I sat down to like really investigate my notes it didn't occur to me until until then about the mom saying, oh, we should have brought our lunch here. And then the fact that it was probably only 10 minutes later that the lights were turning on for nightfall. See, I looked at it as the times being reversed. Yeah. So like how for us, daytime is 16 hours and nighttime is only eight, give or take. This right. one was a lot more backwards. That never could. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> That's just kind of like Canada, though, during the winter. <laughs> we only see daylight for two hours a week. <laughs> yeah. In December, we probably get five hours of daylight. Damn. Maybe six. Yeah. Especially, like, if you go up north and, like, Yellowknife, you get an hour of daylight. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> see, I need my vitamins. But, yeah. Yeah, well, it's why I have a sad lamp. <laughs> that sounds so weird. Um, <laughs> it's just got a pouting face on it. <laughs> just it's, sits in the corner, never gets used. Just <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a daylight. Um, it's an artificial daylight light, um, which, yeah, you put on, and if you, you have to look at it for, like, 10 minutes every single day during the winter to get enough like serotonin I guess going through your brain. I'm not entirely sure the the science behind it, but yeah, lots of people out here have a condition called sad, which is hilarious because it makes you depressed. Um which is a deficiency because of lack of sunlight. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, it's a legit thing. I'm intrigued. So yeah, I have a sad light that I put on during the winter so that I don't get sad. <laughs> Me big sad. Me turn right. on sad lamp. <laughs> I get when I'm sad, I put on a sad lamp. Um, uh, but yeah, anyways, so, um, yeah, so she's crouched in the corner and she's crying and she's turning translucent. And then the boy from the bridge, Naruto, runs over to her and um, he, 
He doesn't. He just runs really fast over to her and uh, tells her that she needs to eat something so that she can stay in the world to stop herself from disappearing completely. Um, And so he gives her like a berry. She first of all refuses, but as she goes to refuse, her hand just goes straight through him. So now not only is she turning translucent, she's like disappearing completely. So he assures her that the berry won't turn her into a pig and he's protecting her. And so she eats the berry and turns back solid. Uh, but as she does so, there's this like bird with the head of an old lady like flying overhead and it's trying to spot her. And he is protecting her and he runs her through the village and through the kitchens and he's running her through. And he ends up taking her back to the bridge. But as she goes across the bridge, he says, you have to hold your breath. And if you breathe while we go across this bridge, you will alert everyone to your presence. People will know that you're here. And he's trying to take her to the bathhouse. Um, and she gets, like, vast majority of the way across the bridge. Uh, you see no face standing on the bridge. But she gets the vast majority of the way across the bridge when a frog dude kind of pops out of nowhere and makes her gasp. And obviously gasping is a form of breathing, in case you didn't know. And... <sighs> Right. Um, and obviously that alerts everyone to her presence. So now her and the boy book it through the bathhouse and uh, he hides her in this garden and crouches her down and he gives her some instructions. He like puts his, his finger on her forehead and he gives her these instructions to try and get to the boiler room of the bathhouse and to meet the person who's there and to try and get a job from him. Because if she can get herself a job in the bathhouse, then she'll be allowed to stay and no one can say anything against her and they can't eat her. And, uh, and then everyone's calling for him. So... He then goes to leave. But before he goes to leave, he tells her that his name is Hiku, I think. Let me just double check that. Haku. Uh, So then he leaves and he's like a young master or something of the place at this point. Like they're, they're calling him Master Haku. So he's clearly fairly high ranking in this bathhouse. I think he's he'll... the main lady's right hand man. Yeah, but you don't know that at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, you just know that he's, yes, some kind of, like, higher-up dude in the place. He also says that he has known her for a while, apparently since she was young, which he's probably a little bit older than her, or appearing to be a little bit older than her. You don't know what he is at this point, if he's human or a spirit or something else. Um, And, yeah, his appearance is probably, like, 13, if she's 10. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's about accurate. Uh, So anyway, she follows these instructions that he gave her and takes this side path down a very precarious stairs um, to get to the boiler room where the little soot creatures are. This is where you first get to see them again. Are they soot spirits? Is that what you called them? Soot sprites. Soot sprites. They're really cute. And there's also a man with six arms who is Kamiji. And Kamiji is controller of the boiler room. And he controls all of the water that goes throughout the bathhouse. Um, and the soot sprites, they take the lumps of coal and throw them into the furnace. And yeah, but he controls everything. He has all of like the herbs and everything that he puts into the water. And he also controls the taps that sends the hot water up to each bath in the bathhouse. And he has six arms and he is a pretty scary dude initially. Mm-hmm. She goes to him and she starts requesting for a job and he's like I have all of the help that I need um, and he refuses her she's 
in the way, very much. She doesn't really know what to do. She's very clumsy and, uh, I mean, she's a kid. She doesn't really, she's never worked before and, and is clearly not used to hard labor. Um, and she's just getting herself in the way the entire time. But as she's trying to like get herself out of the way, one of the soot sprites is carrying a lump of coal or whatever it is, because coal isn't that heavy, but she was struggling with it. So I don't know what it was. Uh, but like the fuel that they're putting into the furnaces, um, he's carrying one that's too big for him and he goes splat underneath it because they're little tiny round creatures probably two to three inches wide with little arms and legs. And they're carrying these lumps of this material that is three to four times the size of them. And this one was clearly too heavy for this little sprite. And he went splat underneath it. Um, And so she picks it up off of him, but she is struggling with it. So that's why I'm, I'm not thinking it's coal. I don't know, but I don't know what it would be. Uh, But she picks it up off of him and throws it into the furnace for him, and in doing so, makes friends with all the little sprites, who then try and get a job for her by purposefully squishing themselves underneath all of the the blocks of whatever resource it is. Kamuji then just basically says, you know, oh, get back to work, guys, and I still can't give you a job because I genuinely don't need you around here. But as he does that, um, a woman shows up to give him his food and to feed all of the sprites. And as she does, she then spots this human that's there and Kawaji ends up bargaining with her to take care of Chihiro by giving her a newt or a lizard or something. I don't know what it was as like a a bargaining chip to be like, hey, look after the kid. And so she takes Chihiro up to the top floor of the bathhouse where um, she ends up meeting the lady in charge who is very scary. (laughs) And Chihiro has to get a job from her. But she is also the one who controls everything. She is the one who turned her parents into pigs. She is the one who will say whether or not she gets eaten. She is not a very nice lady. And so she has to get a job from her to be able to stay in the bathhouse and not get eaten or get turned into a pig. And Chihiro is begging for a job, but she keeps getting denied and denied and denied. All the, the, this lady's just like, you aren't capable of doing anything. You're skinny, you're scrawny. Like, why do I need you here? It's only thanks to the fact that this lady has a giant fussy baby that Chihiro ends up getting a job basically to get Chihiro out of her hair so she could just deal with the baby and like get her to like stop worrying about things. And this lady ends up changing Chihiro's name to Sen because the way that she controls people is by taking away their name and it is like the form of contract. You work for me, I take your name, I give you a new name. And that way, like, you'll forget your name and then and then it'll, that the contract is done and you work for me. So then uh, Haku gets called to the office. And this is when you kind of discover that mm-hmm. Haku is maybe has a closer relationship to this lady than you initially thought. And he is acting really stiff in the elevator down to where Chihiro Naosen is going to go and work and, and get her room and uniform and all that kinds of stuff. Because, yeah, she ended up signing the contract. And he's acting really stiff and she's like not entirely sure what is happening with him, like why he's acting that way. And she ends up getting kind of lumped off from Haku to the girl 
that um, they met earlier. That night, which is actually daytime, but it's when they all sleep because the bathhouse only runs at night, Haku actually comes to tell her to meet him by the bridge so that he can take her to see her parents. Um, This is when, again, you see no face popping up. And this is when she sees that her parents are fully pigs now. They have no memory of being human left and they are being fattened up to be served for dinner, basically. Somebody's popular. I know, my phone keeps going off. I lost where I was. (laughs) (laughs) Going to visit the parents as pigs. Right, yes. Um, (laughs) Haku feeds... Haku basically gives... Uh, Chiharu like hugs and affection and and gives her some food and tells her that she needs to remember her name because if she forgets her name then she's never going to be able to get back to her world and she has this little note that was given to her on, on a bouquet of flowers that she was gifted as a moving present and that note has her name written on it so that's kind of how she's making sure to remember her name. Um, And he remembers her name, and he says that that's really strange because he can't remember his own name after he signed the contract, but uh, he can remember her name for some reason. Then the next day, Chihiru is sent to work properly for the first time, and a giant slug stink monster creature decides that he wants bath. He wants a bath. He's like, okay, yeah, I'm stinky. I'm going to not listen to anybody. I'm going to storm into this bloody bathhouse, no matter what you all say, no matter how many people try and stop me. And I am going to bathe. Um, and before that, Chiharu was trying to clean the biggest bathtub because that was the task that she was given on her first day of work. Hey, clean the biggest one, the smelliest one, the worst, gross one. Um, and so that's what she was doing. She was trying to clean there. Um, and she had to get this like bath ticket, which is like um, the um, types of herbs that are put into the water. And she had to get this. And this dude wasn't going to give it to her. It's like, no, I'm not going to give you this one. That's too good to be used on the likes of you, human. And she's like, I'm not having the bath myself. It's for the guests, but whatever. But No Face ends up reappearing. Uh, he has like this big black blob with a mask on. And uh, he ends up stealing this bath ticket for her and gives it to her. And she runs back off and manages to get the bath ticket so that she can then use it for the big bathtub. And then this big like stink slime monster thing starts coming into the bathhouse. And as that's happening, everyone's freaking out about this. It's slimes everywhere. It's disgusting. And No Face gives her like a whole bunch more of these bath tickets. And she's like, I didn't need that many. I only needed one. But he insists and gives her a load more. And then this big slime monster gets into the bathtub and Chihiro pours a bunch of water on him and actually ends up using the bath tickets that No Face gave her to pour more water on top of the big stink monster. And as she's like trying to scrub down this big stink monster, she realizes that there's something stuck in him in the sludge. She thinks it's a thorn. And as she says, there's a thorn stuck in him. That's when the old lady who runs the whole, whole place says, oh, it's not a thorn. I know what this is. And so they tie a rope around this supposed thorn and all of the people that are working in this bathhouse heave-ho this um, thorn out of him. And it turns out that it's like a bicycle, uh, like a whole bunch of other stuff. Like there is just junk that is (coughs) trapped in this sludge. And all the sludge comes out too and everything just spills out everywhere and it makes a huge mess. And then what's left behind is a nice, clean river spirit. And with all of this stuff that like poured out of this sludge monster, a bunch of gold 
pellets, like the the gold that you would find if you sifted through a river, uh, depending on the river, falls out of this guy. And he also gives Chiharu two little cake things as thanks. And Chiharu is like praised. They're like, oh my god, this is amazing. You cleaned out this customer. We got so much money for it. There's gold everywhere. This is amazing. Um, And No Face sees how everyone is falling all over this gold that is like all over the ground now. Yeah, and so No Face um then <clears throat> that evening he is he's trying to get Chiharu's favor. That was that was seen pretty clearly. She had a couple interactions with him early in the film where she invited him in, kept him out of the rain. She'd seen him around and paid attention to him when it seemed like nobody else could see him or like he was only revealing himself to her. And he's trying to like get her favor. That's what he was doing by giving her those bath tickets. And it's what he continues to do. Um basically what he decides to do is is test, I guess, out giving gold to people after he saw how people were falling all over this river spirit's gold. And so he, that night, he goes and finds um, this frog who was on the bridge and he goes to give him gold (coughs) and then he eats the frog. Um, And now he has a voice because he's using the frog as his voice and he claims to be a guest and he starts spilling out gold for everybody. He's just creating it out of the palm of his hand. And it's falling all over everybody. And the whole bathhouse goes crazy. He starts eating all of this food. He is hoarding everything. He is increasing in size. And he's turning into this massive blob monster. He now has arms and legs, which he didn't really have beforehand. And he is becoming a massive glutton. Um, and just taking on all of this stuff and spilling gold everywhere for all of these people. While he is doing this, Chiharu sees a kind of dragon creature flying in the sky that is seemingly to be attacked by these white birds. And she immediately thinks, that's Haku. That's Haku. And so she calls him and she's like, Haku, Haku, come here, come here, uh, get in here. And he does, and she shuts the door quickly before these paper birds can get in, and he is this beautiful white and blue dragon. Um, but he is severely injured, and he's bleeding from the mouth, he's covered in cuts and bruises, um, he is really, really injured, and he is kind of being a bit aggressive towards Chiharu. And she is doing everything she can to save him, and uh, gets him down to the boiler room. While she's there, she gives him one of the cakes that the river spirit gave her and it causes him to cough up this thing. It's like a, there's like a little ornament thing that I don't think you ever learn about what it actually is. Um, and also this little black, <clears throat> like leechy slug thing, he coughs it up and she squishes it, stands on it, squishes it and kills it. But Haku is still gravely injured and... Kamaji tells her that likely whatever it was that he was asked to steal by the owner of the bathhouse had some kind of, oh yeah, 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 I missed a section. Um, so when he was injured, he actually flew into the top of the bathhouse where the owner of the bathhouse is. And she dismissed him. She was like, oh, you're no good to me anymore. You're basically dead. And so she was like, dispose of him how you will. And she has these three heads that are a minion. She has the bird that flies overhead, which has her same head. And then she has this giant baby who's not really a minion. I assume it's her baby. Um, and um, <clears throat> this paper bird, there was one paper bird that was like uh, attached to 
Chihaku that kind of like stayed with her. Um, and this paper bird actually turned out to be, uh, the owner, the bath lady owner's twin sister. Well, not actually her. It was her in the form of this paper bird, but she's like back in her witch's hut. But because she's a magic user, she's able to like send a shadow clone, shadow clone jutsu. <laughs> out to the area and she was there and she turned the baby into a small little fat mouse she turned the bird into a teeny tiny bird and she turned the three heads into the giant baby and uh then uh chihaku took haku down to the basement the boiler room that's what I missed. And she has now the tiny bird and the mouse, which was the giant baby, um, as friends. They're friends with her. They're hanging out with her on her shoulder. Good buds. Um, yeah, so she feeds him this healing cake. He spits out this thing. She steps on it. And he is still unconscious, but <clears throat> doing a little better. He's not dying, but he's clearly still injured. And Chihaku wants to save him. And she wants to give back the thing that he stole um, and apologize for it, to hopefully find a way to turn back the baby and everyone back into their original forms, and to heal Haku. Um, and to, like, apologize and be like, it's not him that would normally steal those kinds of stuff, he's being forced to do it. No Face is causing havoc upstairs, like, he is eating everything, and everyone wants to get the gold, but when he goes up there, he, he goes to, like, befriend Chihiro, and he wants to give her the gold, but she turns him down. And he gets real mad when she turns him down, so he eats two people. Um... <laughs> Uh, because basically he's trying to buy her affection. But then she gives him the other healing cake. Because I, I assume they were both supposed to be for her parents. So it was supposed to be um, one for each of her parents. But she didn't use them that way. Uh, she feeds him the other cake. And he blows chunks. He is evacuating all of the junk and people that he consumed. He is vomiting everywhere. Um, everything that he ate. And he is trying to follow her, but he is very sick. Um, and he's getting weaker and weaker and slower and slower the more that he's following her. And eventually he gets all of it out of his system and kind of like calms down. He chills out a little bit. Um, so the three of them, he, the mouse, the tiny bird, and Chiharu decide to get on the one-way train to go to the swamp to meet with the bathhouse lady's sister um, and apologize for Haku, try and get him heals and also turn everyone back into their original forms. Haku wakes up and goes to the bathhouse owner, and it's only then that he, she notices that her baby is gone and that has been replaced with the three-head minions. And also the gold that No Face, no Face gave them is actually just sand that then turns back into sand. And so he wants to go after Haku. Uh, Haku wants to go after Chihiru to get her back. And also he wants the, the bathhouse lady to release her and send her and her parents back to their home, back to the human world. At the witch's house, the witch spins Chihiru a hair tie and uh, tells her that it's like a protection thing. And Chihiru is just like, please, can you turn everyone back? Um, I want to get Haku back. I want to heal. I want him to be fine. Haku's actually doing a whole lot better. He's a dragon. He healed pretty quickly once he got that thing out of him. And it turns out that thing that was inside of him was actually the thing that the bathhouse owner was used to control him. If he didn't have that inside of him now, he should be able to make his own decisions again and not steal things because he was always known to be kind of like 
two-faced, I guess, around the bathhouse. You know, he used to be really kind and sweet and lovely, but slowly being there, he got paler and stopped questioning things and just started listening to orders. And then around Chihiro, sometimes he's really nice and then sometimes he's really standoffish. And and it was hard to tell what was going on there with him. But Kamaji is just like, the reason why that he can remember Chihiro's name is because he loves her and it's really cute and they're, they're full-on crushing on each other. It's very sweet for, for children romance. I don't know. They're adorable. Very cute. Very, um, very adorable. Very adorable. <clears throat> uh, so she now has this, this hairband protection. And while she's there and she's waiting for them, all of a sudden the witch just goes, and our guest has arrived. And they open the door and there is Haku in his glorious dragon form. And she runs up to him and she gives him a big hug and she says, thank you for being safe. I'm so glad you're safe. I'm so glad you're okay. And it's very cute. And it just makes you feel all squishy inside. And this witch says, thank you for bringing me back the object that you stole. You should go back now and try and get yourself home with this this band of protection. And she was really nice. Like, her sister is way meaner than she is. Like, hats off to, I like Swamp Witch. Swamp Witch is better. Um, Oh, yeah. Swamp Witch, 100 times better. Right. (laughs) And as she gets onto Haku, who's still in dragon form, and she climbs onto his back. She has these memories again that resurface. They've resurfaced a couple of times, but now it's like clicking to her. And she remembers this time when she was really young, when she fell into the river and she was nearly drowning when the river spirit saved her. And she says the name of the river was Kohaku. So she says, Haku, I think your name is Kohaku. And then it clicks for him. He's able to remember his whole name. And that means that he's able to be freed from the circumstance because now not only does he have the control spirit thing out of his body because she stepped on it, he also remembers his name, which is so cute. They get back to the bathhouse and as they're at the bathhouse, Haku says, okay, we brought back your baby. Baby turns back into a baby. (laughs) So now you have to free Chiharu and her parents. And so the witch is like, okay, fair enough, but you have to... You have to be able to do the, I don't know what it is, like the contract, perform the contract to be able to leave. You have to break the spell. And the way to break the spell is to be able to tell me which set of all of these pigs are your parents. And so Chihiro goes up to the pen and she looks at the witch and she says, I'm sorry, I can't. There's an issue here. And the witch is like, what do you mean? And she's like, my parents aren't here. And the witch is like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah, my parents aren't here. And then she goes, yay! Everyone goes, yay! She doesn't. She's kind of grumpy about it. But everyone goes, yay! You were able to descend. Your parents went here. You win. You can go free. And so Kohaku grabs her hand and takes her back to the ocean, um, which is no longer the ocean. It is now back to being the field that it originally was and tells her to cross the stream and walk through the tunnel and don't look back. And he says, and then you'll be able to go back to your human world. Once you get outside of the other tunnel, you will be back home. And she goes, promise me that I'll see you again. And he goes, I promise. And and she goes, you're able to leave now. You'll be okay, right? And he's like, yeah, now I remember my name. I'll be fine. Um, And so she she does. She walks down the field. She crosses over the stream. She sees her parents. They walk straight through the tunnel. Her parents have no memory of anything that happened. When they get out of the tunnel, the car is covered in leaves and dust and... And the only thing that she has left of the spirit world is the hair elastic of protection that was given to her by the Swamp Witch. And that is the end of 
the film. So you never get to find out if she ever meets Kohaku again. <laughs> you never find out if Kohaku actually does escape from the bathhouse. You never find out what happens to anybody else in the bathhouse. You never find out if they've been stuck in time for however long. Like if the spirit world runs on a different time because the car was covered in dust when they got out. So are they going to go back to try and move into the house and it's been 50 years? Like you don't, you never know. I mean, to be fair, it did storm a little bit while she was there. Yeah. So, and the grass growth looked like, ah, it's probably a few days worth and nobody had just come to cut it down. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But it's anime. But it's anime and it leaves you on a cliffhanger. (laughs) And that is the story. So... How frustrated were you with this ending? I was fine with it. I had no issues with it. I'm so frustrated, but I'm frustrated in the best way. I'm frustrated in the way of, like, I want to know more. I am so unsatisfied. But, like, it's not like a, oh, that was a horrible movie. It was like, that was amazing, and I wish there was more of it. You know what I mean? You just wanted a relationship between I don't know that I want necessarily a relationship. I think I would have been completely okay if I had just seen him in the human world again. Because in my mind, it's like, okay, well, is he going to go back? Like, is he going to be able to go back to his own world? But then he just becomes the river. I mean, he is a spirit. So right? He's a river spirit. So he's not going to be human. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I think it's just that I have questions, but I'm, a, I'm completely okay with those questions. It's not like I, I want, I, like I actually want more. It's not like I'm angry at them for not finishing. It's just that I'm left with this feeling of like, oh my God, that was amazing. I have questions, you know? And you'll never, and I'll never get answers. Know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really, really enjoyed it. And I really like that the ending, I won't consider it. I can't consider it a happy ending, but I also can't consider it a bad ending. It's just a, a neutral ending. I mean, it's happy in the sense that she got her parents back and she was able to leave, but it's not happy in the sense that, like, if it was a Disney film, for instance, I feel like they would have given, like, the the witch in the swamp would have given her an amulet that lets her go from world to world, and the bathhouse owner would have turned good. Because she wasn't exactly evil, but she also wasn't exactly good, you know? Like, she's kind of a complex character. She's neither evil nor good. She She does bad things, but also I wouldn't consider her evil. She's just a bathhouse owner. She's like, I don't know. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I think if it were a Disney film, she would have been given like an amulet or something to be able to travel between the worlds. And Hohaku would have been able to leave as he pleased, come and go as he pleased as well. I feel like that would have been like the happy ending. You know, I don't consider it a happy ending. I also don't consider it a sad ending. I, don't I just consider it an anime ending. It's just an anime ending. It's really some good. Some anime endings aren't happy. Yeah, like, some true. of them are just terrible. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's anime, though, so it doesn't necessarily have to have a happy ending. No, I I agree. To me, like, I thought it was a happy ending. Like, I had absolutely no issues with it whatsoever. No, I don't have any issues with it. Like, I really, really liked it. I I rate this higher than Kiki and Totoro. I, I'm just, like, I just want more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm very, like, I mean, it. It's very similar to the kind of endings that I used to have for um, fairy tales that I have read to me when I was very, very young. Um, Especially a lot of German fairy tales, I find, have this same kind of not completed ending. But then again, I think it's because it's this idea of it being a window into the story as opposed to the entire story in its entirety. The entire story in its entirety. Um, Mm -hmm. Like I I don't think this is a whole story. And I love that. Imagination. Imagination. Yeah. Anyway, what are your thoughts? 
Tell me. I mean, nine out of ten. I'm it's with not, you. It's not perfect by any means, but out of all the Chibli films that I've seen, and I've seen almost all of them to I think all of them, as we slowly get through them, I'll be reminded of which ones I have and haven't seen, but I think I've seen all of them. Mm-hmm. It's by far my favorite, because it has everything that you could possibly want out of a film. There's a true sense of danger. There's a sense that there's a good chance you might not have a happy ending. Mm-hmm. And also, I <laughs> I remember the first time watching it through, like, oh no, she's not going to be able to figure out which ones are her parents. Yeah. She was looking at him in the pen, and she was like, wait, which ones were the right ones? Yeah. And she even had a dream that she picked the wrong ones. Yeah. Like, she couldn't tell which ones were the right ones. Yeah. So there was a lot of sense that things could have went a lot worse than how they actually did. Yeah, 100%. So it did It did a lot of things right by all accounts. It was, it was really good. There was nothing notable music-wise no. that I noticed out of it. So that kind of that kind of detracted points for me with me being a big music person in whatever it comes to anime. Yeah. Also wasn't Totoro where you have that iconic song at the beginning of it. Yeah. But phenomenal film. Absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I rate this higher than Kiki. I rate it higher than Totoro. I write, rate it higher than your name. For me, this is my favorite of all of the films that we've covered so far. Mm, I don't like you. I didn't get on with your name. I thought it was a good film, but I didn't think it was anything other than good. Uh, Just uh, go. (laughs) Podcast over. Just (laughs) Just go. Yeah, no, I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was fine. I think this is more unique than your name. It, It definitely, well, I mean, I can see your perspective on it, but for me, like it's not... I don't know. We're going to agree to disagree on this one. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, no, I, I'm going to give this a 9.5. Um, I wouldn't give it a solid 10 out of 10. Um, I, yeah, I'm going to give this a 9.5. If if Kiki, Totoro, and your name, uh, your name I'd probably put an 8, but if Kiki and Totoro are both 9s, then this is a 9.5. Um, I, yeah, I'm compl- I, I love it. I think it's fantastic. I don't have any complaints about anything. For me, the only thing that could elevate it to a 10 would be iconic music. I agree with you there. Some iconic music to go with it, like an opening or something. Um, or um, maybe the pacing was a little bit strange. I don't know. Maybe that's just because I was taking notes while watching it. So I might watch it again without taking notes throughout it. Uh, Cause obviously I have to pause to take notes. So yeah, that I might watch it again and, and see if that was just a me thing. But yeah, I give it a solid 9.5. I thought it was fantastic. The film is two hours and five minutes, Mm -hmm. but it felt longer than that. Yeah. And I feel like that's another reason why I can't rate it any higher than a nine, because Mm -hmm. it, I, it felt like it drug and it's not a bad thing by any means. Like I enjoyed the film, but it's just the pacing was off to the point to where it just felt like it drug along. Yeah. I, I, I think that works in its favor in certain ways, because to me, it makes it comfier in the sense that I think this is a fantastic rainy day film. But if it's like a... if I don't know. Yeah, fantastic rainy day film. That's what this is. This is the perfect rainy day film. But I don't think that I would watch it just casually. You know? Like, I'd watch it... Well, I guess that is casually. But I wouldn't watch it just like, oh, what should I throw on today? Oh, I'll throw on this film. I think for me, it, this is like a, I need a blanket, a hot chocolate, and this is the film that I put on. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, every day during the winter for you. 
Every day during the winter for me. Yes, exactly. Um, I'm going to be watching <laughs> this for, yeah, 300 days out of the year. <laughs> you can barely rewatch something one more time. I know. Let alone try this to watch This one I think I will rewatch, days. though. Huh. Yeah. Well, that's high price coming from you. Yeah, I don't rewatch stuff, and this I will rewatch. And yet I'm forcing you to rewatch a lot of stuff. I know, right? Um, <laughs> but I don't think I'll rewatch your name. Or maybe I will, but like once. This I think I could rewatch multiple times. Mm. I don't I don't this. know with your name. I don't know. Maybe it's just because it's more of a classic romance and that's I, I say that, but like other classic romance I don't I don't know. I don't maybe I'm just wrong, okay? That's fine too, but like yeah, your name is so, good. So this, this is the feeling better. of disappointment. This is what it feels like. <laughs> I've been enlightened. <laughs> <laughs> this is better than your name. Yeah, I, I stand by that. I, I see how you felt with Dive. It, it's that level of disappointment. Yeah, but Dive wasn't my favorite thing ever. I know. This is worse. <laughs> uh, sadness. <laughs> um... <laughs> I think that wraps up everything. Is there? I've got this. I've got this sticky note that's in front of my microphone right now, and I have no idea what this means. So if you have any clue, let me know. End episode one after twelve. What? I'm I'm assuming Doctor Stone. (laughs) That's all I can assume. Oh yeah. And okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We ended episode one after episode twelve. After yeah. Okay. That's exactly what it is. So that's where I knew where to pick up on the, the next time we recorded. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I was thoroughly confused. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so I think I think that wraps everything up that we have here. Um, next week, we're going to be covering A Whisker Away. I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that because it's, it's an interesting film. I'll yeah. say that. It's definitely visually appealing. The story is interesting by every meaning of the word so i don't know it'll be it'll be an interesting topic to yeah. sit down and discuss yeah i'm excited <clears throat> outside of that you can find the absolutely lovely blue lavender streaming every day except for wednesdays and sundays at twitch.tv forward slash blue lavender from 8 p.m to 10 p.m unless she goes off on a tangent you can also find her on Instagram and Twitter at Blue Lavender STM, and she also runs an adorable little Instagram for Tills at the Best Tilly Bean. Mm-hmm. I do, and if and you she were- also runs our absolutely, I ran out of an adjective because I immediately just wanted to go into how you like to trash talk on the Twitter account. Uh huh. I do. I do like a bit of trash talk over on the Twitter account. Yeah, so Blue likes to talk trash on our joint Twitter account <laughs> at BNV Anime, where she likes to throw all sorts of shade at me and knows that I can't see it because she can't tag me in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Brad doesn't have his Twitter for his own. But if you do like Brad and you want to hear more about Brad uh, or more of Brad, he also streams himself over on Twitch at Brad Carter Gaming. He also has his own Instagram at Brad Carter Gaming. Also, because he is the Instagram pro, he runs our Instagram, which is also at BNB Anime. All of our socials are at BNB Anime. Anime. And he also has a, a fun little Instagram that he uh, posts pictures of cacti on at the adorable prick, because why the heck not? Um, if you want to check out our episode archive, we do have a YouTube channel with all of our episodes on. We also have um, our website, uh, which is at bnbanime.com. Our YouTube channel is bnbanime. 
We also have a uh, fun projects uh, YouTube channel, which we haven't actually posted that much on, but we will be posting more projects on coming very, very soon. So drop a sub over the, while you're over there, uh, because yeah, there's like, some exciting stuff coming on that uh, very shortly, or yeah, hopefully shortly. Um, so yeah, and that's B&B Projects um, at YouTube, and both channels are connected, so if you hop on one, you can find the other. And I think that is everything. Oh, so you also have a YouTube channel that I keep oh. being reminded of slash getting griped at about not mentioning for <laughs> your art projects. I do. That is true. I do. Um, yeah, that's that's Blue Lavender, the same as my Twitch. Um, and yeah, I, I post uh, mainly speed drawing videos. Um, actually, a new one should be going up today. And then also, so this is like a major pregame for an upcoming thing, but I was invited to be a guest on the Tales of the Fandoms podcast mm -hmm. that will be releasing the last Monday of August. Yeah. So you can look forward to that episode coming out where we discussed Dragon Ball, Metal Gear, and just streaming in general it was a fun experience i was definitely glad to be a part of it you can check david out and all of his backlog of stuff at talesofthefandom.com and also blue was a guest on there over a year, ago, a year ago i think yeah yeah, yeah. It, and we also discussed anime i discussed sports anime specifically prince of tennis which you guys have heard me rave on about uh david has also watched prince of tennis and so we had a, a good uh chin wag about that we also discussed other sports animes we went into some harry potter and uh twitch and gaming stuff over there as well i had a, had a good talk about that um he also has a twitter which is tales from the fandom and i think his instagram is the same handle as well yes and also speaking of harry potter tangent at the end oh. i've been getting a well it's not me, but all of us have been getting a friend of ours into all the Harry Potter films, and we just finished up the third one mm -hmm. last night. So, yeah, it's been it's been interesting to see how he's been enjoying the films yeah. so far. Which one's your favorite? As far as the films are concerned, it's a tie between The Sorcerer's Stone and The Goblet of Fire. Oh, okay. Because I absolutely love the first one and the story behind it of the kids having never seen the setup for the Great Hall until they actually shot that scene. So all that wonder and amazement was legitimately yeah. like their faces on it. Mm -hmm. So I really like it. But then the Goblet of Fire was just like action packed from beginning to end. And I just really enjoyed the storytelling of it. What about you? See, I'm very similar to you. The Philosopher's Stone is absolutely nostalgia. Massive favourite of mine. I watch it every Christmas because of that scene of Hagrid dragging the Christmas tree over the snow. Um, <laughs> like, honestly, every Christmas I watch the Philosopher's Stone. But also, I really, really, really like the film to The Prisoner of Azkaban. See, and after having watched The Prisoner of Azkaban last night, I really enjoyed it. I also be, really enjoyed being able to make a lot of puns during the film. <laughs> so that was that was a lot of fun. I'm mm. sure everybody hates me. I mean, they all hated me whenever we watched Frozen, because all the cold puns were brought out at that point. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, what but, about yeah, books? Prisoner of Azkaban is great. So books, ooh, that's a tough one. Probably seven. Oh, yeah. Okay, Deathly Hallows. Yeah, I really enjoyed the Deathly Hollows. It was, I guess it was just because the anticipation leading up to it mm -hmm. after the way that the sixth book ended. Mm -hmm. Because at that point, like, I was literally chomping at the bit for the books to come out. Yeah. And, like, I 
I stood in line and bought it. Like, I skipped school. I, that day I and wish stood I was in line old and enough to have. At release. You've got those couple years on me. I watched it on the news. Oh. Yeah. No, I, I wasn't. I wasn't. I, wa- I remember it. I remember hearing about it on the news and, like, watching these lines of people camping out and seeing everyone going to buy the book. But I was just, I was just that, those couple of years too young to be able to do that. Um, mm. And I, I ended up reading it when I was <clears> that little bit older. And so. Books and films, what are your least favorites? Well, my favorite book is Order of the Phoenix. And that's mainly because of all of the little, like, friendship moments in that. There's so many Mm. more, like, little just, like, hanging around in the dormitory being stupid. Um, And I love that. My least favorite used to be Chamber of the Secrets for both book and film. Mm -hmm. But I think it might be Half-Blood Prince, mainly because it's the one that I watch the least and read the least. Like, if I'm going to pick up one, it's never the Half-Blood Prince. And I don't know why, Mm -hmm. but it just never is. I think it's because it's all setups, then you have to read the last one afterwards. And if you just want to read one of them, then you don't want to read that one. Yeah, and I also feel like it was, like, it was oddly paced. Mm. So, I don't know. Now, I'll definitely say the fifth one, as far as books are concerned, is my least favorite. Because it's slow. The Order of the Phoenix is my favorite one. (laughs) But films, okay. The Order of the Phoenix used to be my least favorite out of the bunch mm. until the Deathly Hollows Part 2 released. And that ending ruined that entire film for me. Really? What part did you yes. not were you not into? The fight with Voldemort. Oh, the foam? Like that final showdown? Because it it's not what it was in the book. Like there was so much more dialogue and it was just so much more well constructed. Mm. in the book and then you get the scene of them hugging and falling off the castle in the film and it's just like ah just bleh. <laughs> it was just it was so different that it ruined it for me like it was so much more iconic in the book and yeah I neville that i don't think show. i don't think neville got <clears throat> enough of a highlight either with beheading nagini mm-hmm. like that should have been like a lot more and and um fred's death rip yeah, spoilers like that wasn't <laughs> yeah, weird, weird. The spoiler hat was thrown up, so that people should expect that anyway. But um, yeah, Fred's death. Like you blink Honks, and you miss it Lupin. in the film. Yeah, like there was and like, and um uh, the fact that Teddy just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm, yeah, like Harry was a godfather and mm-hmm. raised Teddy after the fact because of course both um Lupin and Tonks were killed in the final battle. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Colin Creevy was also killed, and you never mm-hmm. get to see him. Wasn't Lavender Brown also killed? Maybe. It's been a while since I've read the seventh book. Like, it's definitely the one that I've read the least, but that's only because it's the newest. Yeah. So, like, I want to go back through and reread it just to see. But yeah, there's so much. And I feel like the film just doesn't, like... It doesn't settle on a lot of that stuff as much as they do in the books. Mm. Like, because I know Mad Eye's death and Hedwig's death like really plagued Harry for a good bit of the seventh book, mm. mm-hmm. and then all the rest of the deaths that take place at the Battle of Hogwarts. Like, it was ooh boy. Mm. Yeah, and uh, Draco isn't as predominant. Like, Draco is his conflicting and like <laughs> not knowing how to act, but also still following his father's wishes. Mm-hmm. Like, that's and, the whole thing. But I feel like they kind of gave him a little bit more time to shine in the sixth film, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Because, And I mean, that's kind of how I looked at the Half-Blood Prince, is I kind of looked at it as, like, Draco's story. Mm-hmm. Kind of like how with 
in the Marvel universe, like how Infinity War was like Thanos' film. That's how I look at the Half-Blood Prince being like Malfoy's film, yeah. in a sense. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's that's kind of thoughts on the Harry Potter land of things. I don't know why, but like it popped into my head. So I was like, ooh, let's talk about it. Yeah, and we did, <laughs> just as we were about to sign off. Yeah, so on that note of signing off, Thank you all so much for listening. We have a whisker away next week, so you can look forward to that. You can find our entire back catalog, like Blue said, at www.bnbanime.com. And until then, we will catch y'all next time. Bye-bye. Bye.